Rad Radio presents the Rad Probcast. Get it? It's a podcast hosted by a guy named Rob. So it's a Probcast. Very clever. And now, here's your host, a guy named Rob. For the Probcast, this time, it's just you and me. No guest, because by popular demand, we're going to start diving into, oh, I, he- I really hesitate saying the word, investing because it sounds so boring don't don't leave don't leave we're not gonna be talking like stocks and bonds i mean a little bit but that's later we're, we're talking more about financial wellness and not in some boring drab banker way in fact if we had to come up with a a title for this propcast, we're gonna call it money buys happierness which is a phrase that i settled into i think about 15 years ago because The old expression, money buys happiness, is provably stupid and untrue because there are lots of rich people who are miserable. I don't know how many rich people, wealthy people, well-to-do people even, upper middle class people that maybe you've come across who are miserably unhappy or at least definitely not happy. They, They might be wildly successful. They have all the toys in the world, all the money in the bank or relatively speaking, but they hate their life. They hate their wife. They hate their kids. They hate everything or half of it and they just don't seem very joyful so money doesn't buy happiness and and plus happiness as we've discussed so many times on the rad show that's a fleeting thing when they then when they do those studies of where they go out and they ask people are you happy that is ridiculous anyone who is happy all the time belongs in an institution none of us who are well or even remotely close to well are happy all the time. What you're striving for is contentment. Not complacency, but contentment. A feeling of, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. This is good. And that also leaves you open to tremendous joy, tremendous sadness, opportunity, striving forward, but also just being okay with where you're at. That's that's what we're striving for. And there is a financial component to contentment. It's probably the better phrase that money buys contentment, but that's not a good play on words for money buys happiness. So we're going to stick with money buys happierness because what I mean by that is this. If you buy my premise that we're trying to, as best we can, all be as content as possible, which opens us up for all the other great emotions that are out there, good and bad, is when you have whatever you deem to be money, which we'll talk about your various levels of, of wealth because there's so many different stratospheres and they're all fine. This is a very personal thing. When you have enough of it, whatever that is, you worry so much less. Worry is the thing. Anxiety is the thing that leads us to not be content, to be constantly anxious, to never be able to get out of that feeling of impending doom and certainly not welcome in moments of great joy. If, if you're spending any amount of time, let alone all of your moments, and especially right before you go to bed worrying about where your next meal is coming from, whether or not you can pay rent, whether or not you can pay the power bill, the fact that you're two or three months behind, I mean, all of those things are crushing. Can I feed myself? Can I feed my family? Th- these are... These are debilitating, paralysis-inducing, horrible thoughts. Now imagine if you got to the point in your life financially where you never felt that again, ever. 
And if you did, it was only because you knowingly took some type of really exciting risk, like you started your own business, but you did so knowing that you had it planned and you have a slush fund, but it's still exhilarating to know, oh my God, I've got I've to make this work kind of thing. That's totally different than they might turn our power off tomorrow. That's what money buys happiness is all about. It gives you the chance to focus on opportunities to be happy and to sleep better, if not sleep at all. And it is achievable for every single one of us. It really is. It doesn't mean, and that's why we've, we've talked for the last decade in this country about the 1%. Well, that's because for 99% of us, we'll never get to that point. Or the top 10%, you know, do the math. That doesn't mean that if you're in the middle that you can't achieve contentment financially. You can. It's not easy. It's not fun. There are hard choices to be made. But the payoff is so worth it. Just imagine if, if you're experiencing any of the things or ever have that I described, never feeling them again and still enjoying your life. See, for a lot of people, they don't even care about what they see on TV or social media when it comes to not just billionaires getting in rockets and blasting off in outer space, but $20,000 vacations in Maui or $500 dinners in New York or LA. Because to them, they're like, first of all, I'm never going to get that and I'm fine with it. And I don't really care about it. You know what I want? I want to be able to go out once a month to the Outback Steakhouse. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is they're not doing it because they can't, because they haven't achieved any level of financial contentment or they are doing it and they have no business doing so and every time they tell themselves oh I'm going to do something special for myself like I'm going to go out to the outback even though I know I can't afford it I'm going to put it on this credit card that's already maxed out or is about to be and I'm going to have this great time and then later after they digest their steak the reality hits them and they feel even worse than they did before dinner because, oh my God, I just added another $50 onto a credit card that actually means it's like $75, $80, $90, depending on the interest rate and when I can pay anything. These are all things that can be addressed and cured and fixed over time with discipline and just a little bit of knowledge. You don't need to take a class. You don't need to buy a book. I'm not going to be recommending books. I'm not going to tell you to go to some Dave, Dave Ramsey class or anyone else. These are, I did this by myself, whatever level of success you think I've achieved, which some would argue is massive and others would say, get a grip, dude, you're nothing. And I'm fine with both of those condemnations or or judgments rather on either side. But I, I did it just by discipline and having a few really smart mentors who gave me some options and I happened to follow their lead. In some cases, kind of take an idea they gave me and, and add to it. And I don't worry about money. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not independently wealthy. If I was, I doubt I would be doing this. I couldn't, if I stopped working tomorrow, I wouldn't be able to never work again a day in my life. I don't have to work for years if I stop tomorrow. And that's not counting the fact that my wife is a, has already graduated law school and will be a lawyer by next year at this time. And I'm certain a very successful one and we'll be bringing in an amazing income. I'm just talking about right now, our family financial position now. If I lost everything tomorrow or quit everything tomorrow, I'm good for a few years. My wife and I are good for a few years. But at some point, it's going to run out. And I mean good by we could live the exact same lives we're living now. So I don't mean this in a, in a jerk way. Believe me, I don't worry about the power bill. 
And considering the fact that our power bills in the summertime are almost $2,000, that's a good thing. So we're going to talk about your desired and realistic financial goals to start with. You've got to decide. Do you want to be, do you want to be comfortable? Do you want to be well off? Do you want to be rich? Do you want to be wealthy? Those are all different things. And it's a quality of life decision. I mean, I personally, I could have a lot more money than I do, but I wasn't willing to do the things that it would take. I was not willing, like from the beginning, when I was young and ambitious, I was not willing to move from city to city to city, going from South Lake Tahoe to Reno to Sacramento to Houston to Dallas to Los Angeles to Atlanta to New York. That's what the radio industry template says you have to do in order to get to ultimately two cities that I mentioned there, L.A. or New York, where they pay fairly talentless hacks like Ryan Seacrest, $5 million a year to do radio that isn't even radio close to what we do. I mean, he basically reads a bunch of liners. He doesn't do much show prep at all. And he plays a lot of music and he earns a ton of money. And that's just from his radio gig on Kiss FM in LA. Well, that's how you get there. You work your way up, you network, you hang out with radio people. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I didn't want to have anything to do with any of it. I, I dipped my toe in. I realized that I hated radio people and that I just didn't want to be that guy and that I would let my, my talent and my decisions speak for themselves. But I sacrificed the potential for millions of more dollars than what I've ever made or have by doing that. And I'm thrilled with that decision. And so that's what I mean, that this is a quality of life decision for you. And by the way, we're not talking in this broadcast on your career or your career choices or how to get ahead professionally. That's that's for another broadcast and and for the purposes of this one, that's up to you. Th this one is about how you best use the money that you're currently making and how you can take that money and make more with it, hoping and assuming that you're you're either finding ways to grow yourself financially within your job choice or your career, or you're saying, no, Rob, I'm happy. I'm absolutely happy with the job I have or the career I have and whatever I'm making, even if it just goes up a couple percent every year, what I need help with is all the fact that I can't sleep because of these various bills. Fine, fine. We're, we're going to cover that here. But you might also be thinking, I'm on my way. I just got promoted. I'm going to be making a lot more in three years and five years. And while I'm working my way towards that, I want to, I want to, I want to be able to sleep better at night. And I want to know there's something on the horizon that's going to lead me more towards that vacation in Maui or whatever it is that you're picturing. So those answers that you decide will dictate how you implement my various suggestions here today. Because we're going to talk about the steps to financial independence. That's basically what this is all about. Back to money buys happiness. Financial independence is the key to that. That's the, that's the baseline of it. What you then do with that independence after you get there is totally up to you. Whether or not you try to double, triple, quadruple your money, or whether you go, this is great. This is all I ever wanted. I can sleep. I've got everything I need. Whatever you do. So you're going to decide these things. So we're, we're going to give you a little list here. First things first. And all of these things, by the way, come with the caveat of you still have to live. And I don't mean live as in breathe in, breathe out. I mean, there are a lot of financial advisors out there that tell you whatever position you've got yourself into, you have to strip down your life 
to the point that you're not living it any longer so that you can get financially well. That's stupid. It's stupid for a variety of reasons, including the you can get hit by a bus theory. Any one of us at any given time on any given day can be dead. So I don't know why we would put life on hold solely for something that's going to be two, three, five, ten years down the road, depending on your situation. Because, by the way, when you get there and you look in the rearview mirror and you go, wow, this is great, but I had a terrible time doing it, that's not going to be a sense of accomplishment. So first things first, you got to get out of all unnecessary debt. And I use the word unnecessary because if you own a house, you're in debt, unless you're like 25 years into a 30-year mortgage, that's not a necessary debt. That's, that's excellent debt, assuming you're on a traditional 30-year mortgage, et cetera. A car. For, for most people, most of us don't own our cars. We, we're either buying them or leasing them. We don't own them. That's, that's not unnecessary debt. With very rare exception in America, you need to have a car to not only work but to live, have fun, get around, et cetera. I mean unnecessary debt, most notably, of course, credit cards. And any lines of credit that you have. And the, the way that you, I mean, first of all, if you haven't looked because it's so daunting and overwhelming and scary and it pisses you off, the amount of interest you're getting charged on your credit cards is exorbitant. And you can't justify it like we do with mortgages. I mean, if, you, if you've ever bought a house yet, you've noticed that the sale price of your house and what you'll actually pay on it if you ride out the 30-year mortgage traditionally are nowhere near one another. In fact, like what you'll actually pay is twice what you paid. Oh, I paid $500,000 for this house, but by the end of the 30-year mortgage, I'll have paid $1.1 million because of interest. Right, but in the end, if you were to do that all the way, you got a house, you got a piece of property, plus it's accrued 30 years of equity. And I realize most people don't stay in their houses for 30 years, but with a credit card, you're not accruing anything. You're not getting anything. Oh, sure, you got that pair of shoes at Nordstrom. They're not worth shit. So credit cards are the worst, and the way to tackle them is to build momentum. Pick the small ones first. Uh, your Macy's card has $385 on it, and your Visa has $4,000 on it. Let's tackle Macy's. Pay it off. We'll talk about how. Pay it off. If it's going to take you three months to do it under the way you're going to do it, fine. If you do it in one month and scale back for just a month on living, do it. Builds momentum. And then, of course, put the Macy's card in the drawer. Don't go back. Then you start working on the big one, the Visa card for $4,000. Maybe you've got an even bigger one. Maybe in between, maybe you've got a Best Buy card at $1,500. That's what you're going to tackle next. We're going to leave that Visa card at $4,000. That's going to be the last one because you're going to build momentum. And a lot of people tell you that when you pay off these cards, cut them up. Don't do that. When, when you get to the, the point where you've paid off all the cards, you can reevaluate that. You do want to have credit. You're part of having a credit score and part of getting people to loan you money to buy things like homes is you have to be able to show that you have the ability, if need be, to access money. That's why you want to have credit cards. You don't want to have too many and you don't have none. It's a very stupid, confusing system. But the more you, you research it, which, of course, everything I'm telling you comes with the caveat of you should research every single thing that I'm saying and decide if you agree with it. Because not everybody will. To me, it's all common sense, and to me, it's worked. But Dave Ramsey, who I referenced earlier, one of the most successful financial motivators out there, he's, he's good. I don't agree with everything. I maybe agree with 70% of what he says and his team, and that's okay. And by the way, Dave Ramsey, there's a guy who would look at me and go, boy, you are not rich at all, sir, because he's worth, what, $50 million, and good for him. So 
when, whenever, all this stuff that I'm talking about, I encourage you to research and learn more, like about how many credit cards you should have open, open lines of credit compared to what we call your debt to income ratio and all that other crap. So get out of debt, credit cards. Now there's two different versions here that I'm talking to. If you're just starting out, you, you are renting or you're living at home with your parents and you built up some credit card debt. By the way, student loans are last. Student loans are the last thing you pay off for all the reasons that everybody should know in terms of the way we handle student loan debt in America. That'll be the last thing you touch. So we're talking about like credit debt for the most part. It, 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 you, have to, you have to cut back on expenses. You have to, and you can. Don't tell me you can't. I know for a fact that every single dollar that you're making is not going towards living. You are going to Starbucks every day or you're getting fast food five times a week or you're going out three times a week when you could go out only once a week or when you go out, you're spending more than you have to, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're, people are so bad at being able to step back and evaluate, yes, I can cut back on this and still live life. It won't be the same level to which I'm living, but it's going to lead to a better life and I'm still living. I'm not just staying home all the time. You can cut back. The other version of person I'm talking about is if you're lucky enough to be in a home, you own a home, and you've got equity in that home, but you also have found a way to be in credit card debt, you need to cash out that equity and pay off that credit card debt. The equity in your home is your savings account, and it's sitting there doing nothing while your credit cards are killing you. And we happen to be living in a time when I record this in July of 2021, where almost all of us, if we've owned a home for a year or more, have an enormous amount of equity built up. You don't have to take all of it out, by the way. Take out what you need and get out, out from under this crushing credit card debt. I've used this example before. If you've got a ton of credit debt, but you own a home and you've got $100,000 equity, if something catastrophic happened tomorrow, a medical example, a medical emergency, rather, is the best example. What would you do? You would cash out the equity in your home. It's just sitting there. Do it now because those credit cards can become your emergency slush fund thing and you can stop paying exorbitant interest on them and you're going to raise your credit score as well. All of this will take time, by the way. But those are the two different versions that you get out of credit card debt. Get out of credit debt. That's the first step, no matter which situation you're in, just starting out or you've got a home and you found your way back into debt. And of course, all of this requires discipline. When you pay off those debts, don't use them again. Don't, don't get lazy and just say, oh, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat myself. I paid off all my debts, so now I'm going to take a $5,000 vacation. No, that's wrong. The only thing you'll use that credit card for moving forward are things that you can and will pay off at the end of the month. This is where this is on you. No one else can help you with that. Once that's done, we go to the slush fund. We get out of the credit card debt first. We stop paying all that extra interest off. Now we have cleared credit, meaning if there's a catastrophic event, we've got credit cards. Yeah, we'll be going backwards, but life happens. And if we have to dig into that, and you better, you better define catastrophic correctly, the need to go hang out with your friends in Fiji is not a catastrophic event nor a justification to use your credit cards. Not if you're disciplined and saying, I'm going to cut back on life, but I'm still going to live it while I 
create a better one for myself. So we get out of credit card debt. Now we've got credit if we need it. Next thing, slush fund. This is where you build up a minimum of three, preferably six months of current living expenses. You're no longer making those payments on your credit cards. You hopefully have used the discipline that we talked about earlier to stop going to Starbucks and fast food as much, stop buying a new blouse because it's cute, and instead, you've got discretionary income that you can now start putting away. Every paycheck, set up an automatic transfer from your account into a savings account that you open. You never see the money. It comes right out of your direct deposit and right into that account until the number that's in that savings account is the equivalent of what you would need to maintain your current lifestyle for three months minimum. Again, the goal ultimately is to get to six months. And as you become more prosperous, hopefully you're going to add to it as needed to maintain. But first things first, if you need $1,500 a month to live on right now, then you need to get $4,500 in the bank so that if you lose your job for whatever reason, you know you'll be fine for 90 days. Because if you're at all hardworking and goal-oriented, you don't need more than 90 days to find the next job or find a job or find a way to get income. Short of, of course, getting your body cut in half. And, and again, now we're back to calamitous stuff that at this point, if you're trying to build wealth, build financial uh, contentment, we all we can do is hope those things don't occur and prepare for them as we move forward. Now that we've got clear credit and a slush fund built up, stop paying for other people's lifestyle. This is one of the most eye-opening lessons that I learned very early on in life. Every single time I wrote a rent check to an apartment manager or to a homeowner, I was paying their mortgage. I was paying for their lifestyle. If you're renting a house right now and you pay your landlord $2,500 a month, guess what? He takes $1,800 of that and he pays off his monthly mortgage payment and he pockets the other $700. So not only is he making a $700 a month profit off you, you're paying his mortgage for him in a house that he doesn't even live in. That should infuriate you. The minute that was explained to me, it pissed me off. I'm paying for his house? I'm paying for her lifestyle? Yes, you are. And what I did, because I was so angry, was I took my pickup truck at the age of 21 years old that I was driving. I was, I was, I, I, I was just starting to really get forward in, in radio. I was in Reno. Um, sorry, I was 23 at the time. And so I'm young. I'm single. And I drove this super cool truck. But I got so mad that I was paying for somebody else's lifestyle, I traded that truck in. I was paying $450 a month for that truck. I got the cheapest but most reliable car that I could find, a Geo Prism. Google it. I'm pretty sure they don't make them anymore and you don't even see many on the roads. Cost me $200 a month. Instantly, $250 a month, straight to the bottom line. And I went back and I did those things we talked about earlier. What can I cut out? What can I cut back on? I mean, I'm 23. I'm in Reno. I'm in radio. My life basically consisted outside of work of partying, women, and alcohol. And pretty much all three of those things went along together. So I did less of each. Well, I didn't do fewer women, but that's for a different time. 
it was worth it. I still went out. Yes, I was believe I was taking women out in my geo prism. And you know what? They still went out with me. How about that? And I was saving up money so that in 1994, at the age of still 23, I was able to buy my very first home. Free and clear. Not free and clear. I didn't buy the home. I was able to do it on my own by saving up money and being disciplined. And then every time I wrote that mortgage payment check, I was paying for my lifestyle. I was building up my equity. I wasn't giving it to some landlord or something. It is, I grant you, harder now than ever, and it takes so much more time and so much more discipline to figure out a way to buy a house. The market is insane. It won't be forever. If you're literally just now trying to figure out how to buy your first house, you're not going to for years, but start planning for it because there's going to be an adjustment. And there are more and more opportunities and there are more and more programs to where you don't need 20% down. You can get in sometimes with zero down, depends on your background, things like that. Don't let the overwhelming nature of everything that's going on dissuade you from stopping to pay for someone else's lifestyle. This is a false choice. You don't get to say, well, I just I just can't make it work. Oh, okay, so you're just going to pay for someone else's life. Do the math. What are you paying in rent? Whatever you're paying in rent. Let, let's make let's make the math easy. Let's say it's $2,000 a month. That's $24,000 a year you're giving to someone else to pay for their lifestyle. If they even have a mortgage or if they're still paying off the apartment building you're living in, yeah, they're using a portion of it to go towards that. What if they own it free and clear? You're literally just handing twenty-four grand a year to that person or that entity that you're writing your checks to. How much do you make in a year? Twice that? And you're giving half of it to somebody so that you can live somewhere? You, you got it. You've got to stop with the excuses. And you do have to harness the importance of this and the viability of it that, yeah, it may take you a while to get there. But it's worth getting there. Whatever analogy you need to use, climbing Mount Everest, it's not done in an hour. You train for years, then you get there and it's hell. And you finally get to the top and it's one of the most momentous things you've ever done in your life. Well, that's what we're talking about here. It's not quite as difficult as climbing Mount Everest, but that's how you should look at this. So if you're still with me at this point, you've got a house, you've got a slush fund, your spending is disciplined and debt is controlled or at least non-existent. I'm sorry, your debt is at least controlled, if not non-existent, which would be best. So now what? Okay. So for a lot of you, you've probably been listening going, yeah, okay, Rob did that. Yeah, I did that. I already own a home. Thank you for being patient. I appreciate it. I just want to try to walk as many people through this as possible because I know that things like this can be life-changing for people. Unfortunately, we don't teach finance. We don't teach monetary discipline in America, in public schools, and it's so overwhelming and intimidating that a lot of people, a lot of parents are, 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 are incapable of even guiding people through how to start with this. And we wind up in this endless cycle, this morass of having no idea what we're doing, making the same mistakes over and over again, and waking up one day at 35, 50, whatever, and going, oh my God, I have nothing. I have nothing to show for what I've done. And I haven't even really had as much fun as I could. Oh my God, and I have crushing debt that I'm never going to get out of. So thank you for being patient. If you're already in the position where you got a house, you got a slush fund, and your spending is disciplined, and or you have no debt. Here's the now what moment. And most people go the wrong way at this point. This is the point where most people, depending on where they are in life, add expenses that they aren't ready for because they think they've made it. 
Ooh, I got a house. I'm out of debt. I got a slush fund in case, you know, my rainy day fund. And so they do something like have children, have an expensive wedding. They buy a boat. They start to take chronic, lavish vacations. They get a, a car that's way too expensive for their actual disciplined monetary spending. They put a pool into their house, which adds nothing to the value of it compared to what you spend on it. You spend $100,000 on a pool, it adds $30,000 to the value of it. Oh, but you have a pool. Oh, and you couldn't afford that $100,000. This is, this is what people do. And they, and they do these things prematurely, again, because they feel like they should reward themselves because they've made it to a certain point. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't, but you have to reward yourself, relatively speaking, to where you are financially. You get that house, you're out of debt, you've got your slush fund, you want to go to Vegas? Go to Vegas. You want to go to Hawaii? Go to Hawaii. Even if you got to use a credit card and pay it off in two months. And then get your ass back to being disciplined and figuring out what you want to do moving forward. And that's the big question now. Which direction do you want to go? Do you want to maintain the lifestyle you're in in perpetuity, which is fine? You got a house. You don't have debt. You have the ability to go into debt and get out of it. And you're perfectly happy with, with, and content, sorry. You're perfectly content with where you are. And you just want to maintain it. Cool. Do you want to work towards the next big thing? Do you want to work towards the next many big things? Or would you rather go the other way? Maybe you just want to plan for retirement. We'll cover each of them quickly here. Let's say you just want to maintain your life, as far as you can tell, in perpetuity. You're You're thrilled. You got a house. It's a perfectly acceptable, great house for you. And no, you don't need a bigger house. You don't want a bigger house. You, your family, whatever, you're all happy there. I just want to maintain this lifestyle. You're, you, you, you go out a couple times a week. You go to the lake. It's a good life. And you just want that to stay fine. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to open up a third account. You've already got your daily account, right? Usually a checking account that you're making your bill payments, things like that. You got your slush fund, which we're not touching. That's there for emergencies. Now we're going to open up, I guess, what you'll call your perpetuity account. You're going to, same thing, set up automatic transfers to the perpetuity account like you're already doing with your slush fund. So now you're always prepared for an emergency slush fund. But now you also have a separate account that you can delve into for moments. And you're not compromising either your lifestyle or your debt. You put money into that perpetuity account, a couple hundred dollars a month, whatever you can do, 50 bucks a month, whatever. It builds up. And then the opportunity comes along, go to Vegas for a weekend with friends. The opportunity comes along to buy an amazing gift for your wife. Maybe this is the opportunity that comes along for you to buy a, a, an engagement ring. The money's there, or most of it is. And you're able to rationalize, all right, perpetuity account, we're going to cash that out. The rest is going on credit because I'm disciplined now. I'm going to pay all this off before I move to the next phase or before I take the next vacation. That's how you would live in perpetuity at your current lifestyle, and you would have a blast. You would enjoy it, and you'd be worry-free. You know the power's getting paid. Nobody's knocking on your door, making phone calls, whatever, following you, giving you a subpoena. You don't have to worry about any of that. And you're having fun now and then. You're not living high on the hog, but you don't want to. You're just happy, content where you are. So let's jump to you want to plan for retirement, which, by the way, you can do all of these things in concert, depending on where you are in life and how much access you have to how much discretionary income as as things move forward. You get promoted, your, your husband or wife gets a better job, things like that. But let's go to planning for retirement. 
you've got to, at this point, when you start thinking about retirement, you got to choose a few different options. Which directions do you want to go and which do you feel comfortable? First of all, do you have a 401k plan at work, a retirement plan of any kind through your job? If you do, invest in it to its maximum immediately. I realize that if you're 25, 20, 35, 40 even, this seems like forever from now. It's not. And a million dollars is not enough to retire on in America today, let alone whenever you're going to be 60, 65, 70. You have to start building up your wealth. If we presume you have a home, that's a great start because that home will continue to grow in value. There'll be dips. There'll be times where it's worth only what you paid, maybe even less than what you paid. It'll all come back. And a lot of that will be a timing mechanism. But that's a great start. You own something. It's something tangible. And it's worth something. So the home's a good start. Now, what are you going to do about planning for retirement? Because that's what we're talking about here. You, you have a retirement plan through work? Great. Do you want to also do an IRA, an individual retirement account also? I mean, it's kind of getting invested in the same area, usually almost exclusively the stock market. How much do you know about the stock market? You're going to hire somebody, you're going to learn about it. Or you're going to invest in um, funds. You know, like you just invest in the Dow Jones, which is the 30 biggest stocks, for example. Um, th these are these are things, again, you have to research. Uh, I, I said I wouldn't recommend a book, but I'm just going to throw one out here. You know the Dummies series? Investing for Dummies is a really good starter. It's a good place to start. It's not the be-all, end-all, know-all. But it is a good start if you're considering, I actually do want to control what I'm investing in more than just paying Joe Blow over at Goldman Sachs or whatever to manage my account. So... If you want to do that, that's one way to go. Again, I think it's kind of redundant if you do have a 401k at work to then go into IRAs because you're kind of doing the same thing. But it, it's something to think about. Another way to go that doesn't specifically have to do to do with retirement with the stock market is you could just invest in stocks. You can start buying and selling. And, I mean, we live in an age where any idiot can open an account on E-Trade or any of those other online things. You start watching the business channels. And remember my rule. If they make a thing and the thing is good, invest in it. Imagine if you had that mindset, if they make a thing and the thing is good, invest in it, back in 2007 when Apple released the first iPhone, or what, 2000 when they released the first iPod, you'd be worth a lot of money right now. Um, so that's one way to go with stocks. Real estate. We mentioned you already own a home. What about buying more property, buying a rental home? Remember how before you were paying somebody's lifestyle, you were paying somebody's mortgage? Why don't you make somebody else do that? Can you go out and buy a home right now today based on what we're talking about? Probably not. Some of you probably can. Some of you probably have the ability right now to go out and buy a second home. It doesn't have to be wherever you live, by the way. Hello, Airbnb, VRBO. We live in a world where you can, you can go buy a home and then rent it. I, I, have, I have friends that own homes around the country. Different friends, different homes. They literally only rent them out 15 times a year. But because of what they charge, those 15 times pay their entire year's mortgage. And then they use the house the rest of the time for themselves, for business people, for family, for friends. Imagine being able to be that guy. Hey, you want to go up to the mountains and stay in our cabin for a week? Yeah, no, it's totally free. Why? Because I rent it out. 15 times a year and that pays for everything so that's that's another way to go again property something tangible that you're looking at what you'll do when you're ready to retire when you get closer to it you'll sell it and you'll cash out you buy it now for two hundred four hundred thousand dollars you sell it later for eight hundred thousand dollars hello 
Hello. That's a nice piece of change. I'm I'm recording this podcast from the studio that we do the Rad Radio Show in every morning. I bought this building. I bought it. I didn't rent it. I bought it 11 years ago. It is right now worth more than twice what I paid for it. And I owe even less than that on it. Whenever I'm done with this, this building alone will be a major chunk of my retirement moving forward. Seven figures, easily. So... These are the kind of things, now again, that's 11 years. That's how long sometimes this takes. That's how long usually it takes. But again, this is the conversation under retirement. And then there's other things you can look into like life insurance, depending on uh, if you have kids or, and a, a younger wife or things like that and, and how much money you actually have. There's universal, there's whole, there's term. Life insurance, not my thing in terms of being able to properly discuss your various options. I'm not dissuading you against it. My theory is if you create enough liquid wealth for yourself, you don't need life insurance because you've already got enough to take care of the situations of the people that might happen if you do die. Because that's the other thing. Life insurance, you're literally betting on yourself to die. The only time life insurance is actually worth anything, unless you like sell a whole life insurance policy, which is a stupid investment process, is when you die. So you're not really there to see it. And then you got things like gold and silver, et cetera, things like that. You want to look into investing in all of that, again, if you're planning for retirement. When I say retirement, hey, if you're, if you're 25 and you're like me, you already own your home, if you're thinking you want to retire at 50, everything we're talking about, you should be doing now because you can. I have lots of people I know who retired, not, I, not just at 50. My, one of my best friends retired at 42, has never worked since. Odd, odd little things that he does solely for entertainment that actually give him money. But hasn't worked since he was 42. So then let's get to the other category, the next big things, okay? Y you get to decide how big you want the next big things to be. So again, you got a house, you got a slush fund, you're working on retirement in some way, you don't have debt, but you want more. You're that, you're, you're thinking, I, 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 I'm going to be a mover and a shaker, whatever. And again, you define that. I got friends who work five days a week, from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m., they come home, they play with their kids, they bang their wives, and they wash, rinse, and repeat. And then on Saturday morning, they get up, they put the family in a private jet, they go to Colorado, Sunday afternoon they come home, and then they keep doing it. To them, that's fun. I couldn't live that way. I lived partially that way, minus the private jet, in my 20s. And I always said I was only doing it to get to the point where I am now. But you know what? If you can do that, and if that does sound amazing... And if you've got a, a, a team unit, a family team unit, an understanding with your husband or wife, do it if that's what makes you happy. It does come down to what it is that you want to achieve, how much you're willing to do, how much you're willing to risk to get there. So we go back to the rental home. Well, why does it have to be one? Maybe it can be a bunch. Maybe it's not a rental home. Maybe it's a flip, right? You've heard that before. They're still out there. They're still available. Especially if you're handy or you know people that are handy, you buy a house that's got some problems, much lower than market price. You go in there, you put in what we call sweat equity, make the house not just sellable, not just pretty, but above market value. Maybe you're going to put twenty-five, maybe you're going to fifty thousand dollars into the house, but you're going to increase its value by a hundred thousand. Do the math. That's an extraordinary increase on investment. Then you turn around, and you sell it, and then you know what you do? You go find the next one. And you do the same thing. It's a little tough in this housing market. But again, there are places in this country 
that are not through the roof, like Northern California, Northern Nevada, and, and a lot of the country. But there's places in this country where you can find homes and you can flip them. You hire a local contractor. Again, you're going to have to work all these things out. I'm here to give you ideas. My, my goal here is to show you that you don't have to limit yourself because you think you can't do it. You think you can't get there. You, you have a career where, yeah, you got a retirement account and, and you make 50 grand a year or 75 grand a year and you know, you're going to work until you're 50 or 55 and then you're going to get a pension and, and then that's just going to be your life. Well, it can be. And if that makes you happy, that's cool. But there's a lot of things you could be doing as well. And a lot of times you just haven't had them explained to you or even you haven't even been told that, that you can be part of that life. There's a lot of people that think that I just can't, that's just not a life I can, I can touch. I can't make money like that. I, I just can't make $50,000 profit on out. Yes, you can depending on your situation and most importantly, your willingness and your desire. So that's one thing to consider, you know, getting into rental homes, flipping, go back to the stocks thing. Do you want to start really learning about how to be maybe not a day trader, but a weekly trader where you, you've, you've got, again, the E-Trade account, account and uh, you're picking and choosing stocks and they're, you know, very risky. I've done it. I've, I've, I've done better than not, but I've, I've lost my ass a few times and you accept that and then you get up and you, you learn from it. It's not for the faint at heart. I, I, I will tell you that if you, you take $10,000 today and you decide, all right, I'm going to play around in the stock market. That $10,000 could be $2,000 in a week and you better be ready for that. And you shouldn't go into the stock market without a plan for how you're going to mitigate that. Cause there are all sorts of things you can do. Investing in the stock market is not like the movies you put in, Things like what we call a stop loss order. Let's say you buy Home Depot for $300 a share. And you tell the computer that if Home Depot drops below $270 a share, sell it. Now you're still taking a loss because you know the market's going to move up and down, but you're only taking, you're taking a controlled loss. You know that it won't go below $270 a share, however many shares that you bought. That way you go, okay, well, I, I lost X amount of dollars on that. So now I'm going to have to find a way. It's just, it's look, it's gambling, man. That's what the stock market is. It's no different than when you're at the casinos. You go in with $500 and then you get down to your last 150 and you go, "Okay. I'm down 350. Do I just want to walk away or do I want to try to get back to 500? And how do I do that?" Okay, and then you go back to you go to a different table and you get back up to 500 and then you get to 600. And then you start doing that bargaining thing with yourself. All right, I've made 100 bucks now. Do I keep going? So I'm on a streak. That's exactly what the stock market is. If you're actually doing it and managing it and if you're being a day trader. The, the, the traditional retirement way of investing in the stock market, that's the long game. That's where you set it and forget it. You just put the money in, you set it up with various funds or accounts, and you let it go. And you know that there's going to be times when it drops. Now, the more you do it, the more you'll be able to see when you need to go in and adjust your settings. Right now, for example, again, in July of 2021, the stock market is through the roof, record-setting highs. There's a lot of question how long that can be sustained with inflation coming and a lot of questionable things going on in the country and the world. There, there's still a pandemic going on. Uh, there's a lot of bad, really rising crime rates in America. A lot of things that make people nervous, and yet the stock market is still bustling. How long can that go on? If you're really experienced, you are probably have gone in, like I have, and you've adjusted your stop loss orders. You said, okay, I've really done well over the last year. So 
I'm going to go ahead and let this thing fluctuate 20% because I've made 80% gains. So I'm happy to lose another 20%, but I'm going to lock in at 60% gain over the last year, meaning if the stocks ever get that low, they're going to sell automatically. I hope that, I hope, hope I'm not getting too technical or, or dorky. I'm just trying to explain in a very 30,000-foot uh, way some things for you to think about. Again, you need to go out and learn this stuff. you got to read about it. you got to research it. Don't just go out, go take that ten grand and open an E-Trade account and go, all right, I'm just going to do what Rob said. I haven't told you anything. I've only given you kind of a, a map to follow. Something that, that a lot of people don't do, don't consider, don't think they have access to, but you do now more than ever with the Internet and social media, things like WeFunder. Invest in businesses. This is something that can really make you a lot of money if you choose wisely. Now, again, what's your knowledge. I, I don't mean start your own business. That's another thing, obviously. If you've got a passion or a talent and you believe that you can be successful at it, of course do that. To me, that was a given. I should have mentioned that earlier. I mean invest in somebody else's business. Find somebody who's doing something that you go, that's really smart, or that's a great location, or that's a great idea in a great location, um, and invest in it. The worst thing that can happen is you'll lose your investment entirely, which is why, just like when you walked into that casino with 500 bucks, you better have been willing to lose it. You don't invest money you're not willing to lose. However, if you're smart, if you've done your diligence, maybe you've talked to a few people smarter than you who have said, yeah, that's a really good idea. You invest your money in a really good idea or product. And then, if you're right, you literally sit back and wait for the checks to start rolling in. Years ago, I was mentored by a friend who gave me this idea. And then, yes, through getting to know people, I met someone who had an opportunity for me to invest in a Taco Bell. Franchisee was looking for people that would help him buy and pay for the Taco Bell franchise. And so I, I, and I saw where he was putting it. I believed in him. I knew it was a great location. Plus, it's Taco Bell. And this is like in the 90s. So I invested a few thousand dollars. And for the next seven years, I think it was, every month after, so it took a year before I saw anything, full year, thousands of dollars. I'm in my 20s. I had to really reach deep to find this money. And then for a year, there's nothing. There's no return on my investment because there's no profit, right? For a year or many years, companies run in the red in in, before they can get to the point where they say, we're all making money now. We've, we've reached that point where now I can start paying myself and paying other people back. More than a year into it, I started getting checks. I'm just going about my radio career. First few months, there were a few hundred dollars. And then once we, once we settled in, I spent five or six years getting checks to the tune of $1,700 a month, almost like clockwork. Sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, on top of what I was making. And then eight years-ish into the whole thing, the franchisee sold the entire property. And I got a check for more than $70,000. So I invested five grand, spent five years after waiting a year, year and a half. I forget, that was 25 years ago or so. Spent five years getting $1,700 a month. Do the math. What is that? 18 grand a year? That doesn't sound right. 20 grand a year? And then got a $77,000 payout. Pretty good. And anyone can do that. If you're smart, yes, if you know a few people, if you trust, 
And if you're willing to lose, you can get a big payback. And then you can take that money that you make and then you can do what I did. You can invest it into your next home as an enormous down payment without touching all of your other liquid assets. Or you can buy a building that has a radio studio in it. You know, whatever you're going to do. These things are out there. They're available. I mentioned WeFunder. There's all sorts of things on WeFunder. And a lot of them you're going to look at and you're going to go, that's stupid. I, I, I Almost everything I look at that's available, I go, nope, not worth it. But every now and then you see something you go, this, this could be something. Now, again, it could take years. Some of you listening to me right now, a couple years ago, invested in Circles with an S, the social media app. And we told you from the beginning, this is this is a long haul. And I still believe the potential for Circles to be wildly successful and a massive payout is absolutely likely. But I'm three, four years into this thing. I haven't seen a cent. I don't expect to for another three, four, five years. Who knows? That's, that's part of all of this. And that's what dictates that whole, do you want to maintain your lifestyle? Do you want to plan for retirement? And what is the next biggest, bestest thing? And how far into it do you want to get? And maybe none of this is really what you're looking for. Maybe, maybe you're a different version of maintaining. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just remember to not repeat the mistakes. Don't get yourself back into the debt problems that got you into the mess that you were in that you had to dig yourself out of in the first place. And if you're right now listening to me and you've made it through this thing and you are mired in that debt and now you've spent the last half of this thing listening to all these pie-in-the-sky ideas of, of investing in a Taco Bell and you're like, oh, okay, this is not helpful to me. I understand, but it's not unattainable. It isn't. Now, can all of us be in the 1%? Obviously not. But the truth of the matter is most people won't ever even try. And there are ways for you to do so without losing everything. There's ways for you to not even come near trying for the top 1% and just be so much more prosperous than you are and be content and find a way to let money buy you happierness. It can be done. And then once you get there, you get to decide how much more you want to go. I hope this has been somewhat helpful as at least a, a, a groundwork, a, a basement floor for you to start thinking about some of these things. We're going to be doing more of these podcasts. I'm going to have some guests on. I'll be doing more talks with you about other ways for you to look at your money and your investing. Please feel free to email the show. Just send it to the regular uh, Rad Radio address, rad at radradio.com. Just put the podcast in the subject line. And if you got a question, something specific you want me to touch on, delve deeper, get a guest on that maybe can get more specific and technical than I can, I'll be happy to. Like I said, this stuff's important. And there's absolutely no reason why every single one of us can't be pursuing our next level of happiness. Thank you so much for joining me on the Probcast. I'll talk to you next time. Did you enjoy this episode of the Rad Probcast? Send an email to rad at radradio.com. A new episode of the Probcast premieres anytime Rob feels like doing one. 